Father God, to you alone indeed belongs the highest praise for who you are and for what you have done for us in saving us from sin, saving us from its consequences and bringing us into your eternal family, reconciled to you, adopted as your children forever. We thank you for the glorious hope we share in Christ and we thank you again for your love for us through him. Amen. Please take a seat. We're going to... Um, uh, have God's word read to us by Sarah in just a moment. Let me just pray again as we come to God's word. Father God, thank you that you're a God who has made yourself known. Uh, you are a speaking God and you have, uh, we have your word, your precious word. We pray that you would soften our hearts now to, as we hear it uh, read and then preached. Please um, speak to the very depths of our being and please transform us, encourage us, challenge us when needed and um, uh, carry out your powerful work through your word by your spirit today in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Reading from Romans chapter 14, verses 10 to chapter 15, verse 7. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person... It is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if they eat because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but, as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, 
so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. What a great passage on mission. That's what you were thinking, wasn't it, as it was being read? Yeah, yeah, clearly? Okay, we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, If you have a Bible there or a device, uh, please do keep it open. Um, As I like to tell my students uh, at college, um, they don't need to hear from me in chapel services, but we all need to hear God speak to us through his word. So if you can keep uh, the Bible open, that'd be great. Well, as we mentioned before, the church in Africa is actually booming. There are currently 600 million people who think of themselves as Christian. But while the church is flourishing now, it's about to face its biggest challenge. And the biggest challenge the church is facing is not the spread of Islam. It's not syncretism with witchcraft. The biggest challenge is not poverty or tribalism. Now, all of these things are big issues that we engage with with all our students. But actually, the biggest challenge facing the church in Africa today is actually the same is the same biggest challenge that's facing the church in Victor Harbour today. Biggest challenge facing the church in Africa is the biggest challenge also facing the church in Australia. And that challenge is how to disciple the next generation of believers in a world that is increasingly hostile to Christ. And that's actually where Romans Romans 14 and 15 come in. So will you pray with me today that we will know what it means to be on mission here in Australia, that God will be glorified through us, his people. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. Thank you that your word is powerful and effective, that you achieve your purposes in this world and in our lives together. So Lord, please speak to us today in the power of your spirit, through your word, that we might be on your mission as your church to glorify you as we make disciples of the nations both on our doorstep and far away. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Romans chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. How nice. Does that sound nice? Kind of reminds us of the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, don't judge, lest you be judged. Like, like, is this the key to mission in Australia today? Is the Apostle Paul telling us that we should just stop being so judgy and accept people? Is that the key to mission? Well, I suspect not, 
because it turns out that popular culture in Australia is well past the uh, live and let live stage, isn't it? They don't just want us to accept them, they want us to affirm everything. Now actually, while Christians have been a bit judgmental in the past, you may have noticed that Australian culture is also getting quite judgmental itself, is it not? Literally four years ago, the mantra was, love is love. And now I've seen multiple young people walking around Adelaide with jumpers, with, and on the, the message on these jumpers says, your love is outdated. And I'm like, come on, that's like four years. It's a bit judgy. But here's the thing, even if we did get more people through the door, it wouldn't take the average person very long to realise that when Jesus says, don't judge lest you be judged, he's already had a fair bit to say about sex and lust and greed and hypocrisy, anger, self-righteousness and sin in general. And so too, by the time we hear Paul say, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in 15 verse 7, in the book of Romans, he's already had a fair bit to say about sex and lust and greed, hypocrisy, anger, self-righteousness and sin in general, hasn't he? Yeah. So then how is Romans 15 a helpful word for us as we think about reaching out to our local communities and making disciples of the next generation here in Australia today. Well, the first thing we have to note about Romans 15 is that Paul is not actually talking about how we treat people outside the church. He's talking about how we treat each other within the church and how this is absolutely critical for the mission of the church today. See, point one, if you're following in the outlines. The first thing we see about mission, the mission of the church from today's passage, is that the local church fulfills its mission to the nations by glorifying God through our shared corporate life together as the church. See, the mission and purpose of the local church is to glorify God by making Christ known, but specifically through our shared life together as Christ's people. See, look with me at Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. Paul says, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind, the mind of Jesus, and with one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Why? In order to bring praise to God. Now, my PhD supervisor and dear friend, Peter Adam, used to always say that you can't teach someone how to preach until they know what preaching is. And so too, I think Paul would tell us in chapter 15 here that you can't tell people how to church until they know what church is. 
And here Paul is telling us that the church is not God's defensive strategy against the big bad world out there. No, the church is God's offensive strategy to overcome a hostile world. We're not the defensive team, we're the offensive team. See, Paul wants us to see how the church fulfills the great mission strategy of God, that strategy that he promised in every book of the Old Testament. But we fulfill that by revealing what he's done for us in our life together, which is actually why Paul immediately after these verses goes on to quote a whole bunch of verses from the Old Testament that are about how God is glorified in the eyes of the nations by what he's done in the life of his people. So if I can get the verse up here uh, from Ezekiel 39. Maybe, maybe not. If you've got your Bible there, just, or, or just, just listen... See, what does God say he's going to do when he saves his people in Ezekiel 39? 39, 27 says, When the Lord saves his people from the nations and gathers them from his enemies, then he will be proved holy through his people in the sight of many nations. We're not just saved to be saved, we're saved to glorify God in the eyes of the nations whom he sends uh, the gospel to. Great. Which is why Paul goes on immediately to actually quote some passages here, um, which is all about God being glorified among the nations through what he's done in the life of the church. So Paul goes on to quote Psalm 18, Therefore I'll sing, pray, sing your praise among the nations and sing to your name. And again from Deuteronomy 32, And it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Because how God's purpose for the local church is never just about the local church. It's about him making his name, his character, his holiness, his grace known to those outside the church, that they might know him too. Which is why Paul commands us to accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God, but that's not just from us, it's praise to God from those outside the church. Which brings us to point two. What exactly does Paul mean when he tells us to accept one another? And how exactly is this supposed to result in people outside the church praising God? Well, point two, to understand what Paul does mean and what he doesn't mean when he tells us to accept one another, we need to understand that as the church, we glorify God's holiness and his character before the eyes of the world simply by embodying and living out the words of Christ in our life together. See, accepting one another is not about just being nice or not being judgy, just accepting people as they are. No, it's specifically about living out Christ's words as Christ's people. So when Paul tells us to accept one another and to stop judging our brothers and sisters, 
we need to understand that this is not just something that Paul came up with by himself. No, Paul is directly applying the words of Christ to the people of Christ in Rome. See, throughout chapters 13 to 15 of Romans, Paul is literally taking Christ's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, and he's taking Christ's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, the whole sheep and the goats thing and the how you treat one another's servant, and he's applying that teaching to the life of the church in Rome so that they can fulfill Christ's great, great commission in Matthew 28. Now, have you ever noticed, as you've read through Romans 13 to 15, that Paul is really just parking back and taking a lot of what Jesus has already told the church to do, and he's just applying it to the church in Rome. Now, we can't can't go through all the examples here, but if you've got a Bible, a couple of things you can see should make it clear. So when Paul says in chapter 13, verse 8, let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another, for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Well, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And what does that look like for Jesus and for Paul? Well, chapter 13, verse 10, Paul says, love your neighbor as yourself because love is the fulfillment of the law, which is just Paul taking Christ's words from the start and the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 43 and 7, 12. See, the connections to the Sermon on the Mount are everywhere once you start seeing them. But I, th- I think the clearest place we see it is actually in chapter 14, verse 17. So you look at chapter 14, verse 17. What is Paul talking about? And as I, as I read it out, where have you heard Jesus say something very similar in the Sermon on the Mount? Romans 14, verse 17, Paul says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does Jesus say about the kingdom of God in the Sermon on the Mount? Matthew 6, Jesus famously says, you know, don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear, literally put on, for the pagans run after these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added as well. See, throughout Romans 13 to 15, Paul is just trying to fulfill the Great Commission by teaching the Christians in Rome, those who have already been baptised into Christ, to just live out the gospel as Christ's people. See, what's the Great Commission? Jesus says, uh, my bit's done over to you. No, it wasn't that, was it? Um, Jesus says, uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore sit back, relax, and no, he says, uh, he says, make disciples as you go, as you baptise them, and as you teach them to obey all that I have commanded. 
So Paul's just taking the words of Christ and applying it to the life of the church in Rome so that they can be living out the Great Commission where they are, in Rome. See, Paul's just doing what Jesus tells us to do here in Victor Harbour. I think once we see what Paul's doing, it actually helps us see how we can take our place with joy and confidence as Christ's people here. So finally then, point three, what does it mean when Paul says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you? And how does that relate to us taking our part in the mission of God to the nations on our doorsteps? Well, not surprisingly, I think it helps if you want to know what Paul means to just go back and see what Jesus means when he teaches the church that. See, point three, to make sense of why accepting one another is such a big deal for the global mission of the local church, we need to realise that by accepting one another, we are accepting or literally welcoming Christ. We are literally welcoming the Christ who has welcomed us into his people. See, God is glorified in Christ through the church because he is within the church. Oh, who did you think you were coming to meet with today? Look around. Who do you see? All those people that you really like hanging out with? Maybe some you're not so sure about. But uh, what does it mean to be the church and what does it mean to be meeting together as the church? See, the reason why we need to embody Christ's words together in order to fulfill his mission for the church is because we are empowered as the church by the indwelling presence of Christ. See, God hasn't outsourced his mission to us. The Great Commission is not, you know, Jesus going, okay, I've done the hard bit, now over to you. No, he says, no, um, all heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore go, and I will be with you. See, God has not outsourced his mission to us. He has just brought us as his people into his mission with him. When we see that, I think that makes a lot more sense of a lot of what Paul's saying in chapters 14 and 15. Got your Bible there, look at 14 verse 19. Why does Paul care so much about how we treat each other as church? 14, 19, let us make every effort to do what what leads to peace and to mutual edification or building up. That's, That's just classic Paul church building, temple building language. 14, 20 says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of your food, for the sake of your quibbles about what you can eat and what you can't eat. Paul's saying, remember who you are and live that out. Don't get caught up on the little things. Remember the big things of who we are. Like Paul's saying, guys, you've forgotten who you are. You are God's mission strategy to the nations and you're still confused about what you can eat together. Like, 
Chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, each of us should please our neighbours for their good to, again, build them up. That's Paul, that's God building his holy temple talk again. Chapter five, uh, 15, 5 to 7, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. See, chapter 14, it has a lot of talk about eating and drinking, but just in order to show that the eating and the drinking bit's not the thing, okay? The real issue at heart here is to understand who we are as the church of God and how, as the church of God, we fit into God's great mission plans for the world, including the world just down the street. If I can get the next picture up, picture of some of our South Sudanese students. Great. Uh, COVID happened. Do you you remember COVID, the whole lockdown things? Yeah, we, we arrived six weeks before the hard lockdown. And we had our little upstairs apartment for many months. And it was kind of strange that we could sit in our lounge room and look through a little window, and we could see the students in the dining room about 200 metres away, but we couldn't meet with them for a year. So in 2021, when the lockdown restrictions were easing in South Africa, we were finally able to have a group of students into our home to share a meal. And I thought, my love language is meat. So I decided that I'm going to show love by cooking meat. I've been in Namibia, South Africa long enough to know that meat is God's universal language of love. Um, So I thought, great, let's get the six or seven South Sudanese students who have been in the same boat as us, thousands of miles from their family and friends, locked away in a cupboard for, you know, not a cupboard, you know, small room. And I thought, let's get them together and just celebrate being brothers and sisters in Christ, able to have a meal together. So I went to the shop and I bought a four kilogram piece of pork. And I decided I'm going to slow smoke this on the Weber. So I seasoned it the night before, just lovingly patted it, put it in the fridge. I set my alarm. I got up at 5 a.m. that morning to get the Weber nice and low and smoky and, and I put it on there and asked Karen, all day I was just lovingly tending this, like I was feeling the love for my South Sudanese brothers as I was doing this great, humble, meaty service for them and it was, and it was all going really well until another lecturer, a friend of our Steve from Sydney, he rang up and said, oh, something, and I said, oh, guess what I'm doing tonight, Steve? And he goes, oh, what? I said, having the South Sudanese over. First time, excellent, and I'm gonna, we're going to do pulled pork, slow-smoked. It's going to be great. And Steve goes, pork? With the South Sudanese? Mike, I don't think the South Sudanese eat pork. And I said, what do you mean they don't eat pork? We're Christians. We can eat pork. And Steve says, yeah, I don't think they're going to really like that. So at five o'clock, an hour before they came, I got on the phone and I rang Seme, who's in the bottom on the floor playing very passionate noughts and crosses with our Amelia. Um, And I rang Seme and I said, Ah, Brother Seme, 
What would happen if you went to a lecturer's house and they served you pulled pork? And Seme goes, ah, Brother Mike, we would be very happy to be at our lecturer's house. And I thought, oh, this is African indirect. Okay, uh, and I said, ah, Seme, would the pork make you happy? And he goes, ah, Mike, we would just be very happy to be at your house. So Karen got on Google, found a supermarket that was open, raced down and bought some burgers. And we had a lovely time playing noughts and crosses and eating hamburgers on the Weber. And we ate a lot of pork (laughs) for the next few weeks. And it was delicious. See, food isn't the point. It doesn't matter that we can eat pork if it's going to actually make them stumble. What matters is that as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are God's mission plan for the nations. So as we build up one another, bear with one another in love, he is glorified to those outside the church. As we recognize that his spirit is with us, he has overcome our enmity, he is glorified. Just through that, just because of who we are. See, when, here's the sting in the tail. When Paul says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, we're supposed to see that by welcoming or not welcoming, by loving or not loving our brothers and sisters in church, we are literally welcoming or not welcoming Christ who dwells among us. For what we do for the least of our brothers and sisters here, we are doing for Christ that he might be glorified in the eyes of the world watching on. So when Paul says, you then, why do you judge your brother or sister? And Jesus says, don't judge or you'll be judged. They're saying, don't divide the church. Don't separate and divide one another. If your South Sudanese brothers don't like eating pork, then Buy burgers. What matters is how we recognise and welcome Christ's people as Christ has welcomed them. So in the end, to understand what Paul means when he says to accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, and why this is critical to our mission as the local church, we need to see that Paul is simply applying Christ's teaching from the Sermon on the Mount and Christ's warning from the Mount of Olives. Do you remember what Jesus warns his people about on the Mount of Olives? Particularly the sheep and the goats bit. Do you remember the sheep and the goats bit? Sheep and the goats gathers people together. It's all about how, no matter whether you're on the sheep side or the goat side, everything hinges on how you have treated Christ even when you didn't know you were treating Christ at all. Do you remember that? See, when we condemn one who's, who is weak in faith, who doesn't think it's okay to eat pork, we're condemning Christ. When we judge our brother or sister who annoys us, we're standing in judgment on one whom Christ has welcomed. 
See, in the sheep and the goats, the whole thing revolves around how we've treated not each other, but Christ. But both the sheep and the goats say, Lord, when did we see you hungry? Oh, so that's the eating thing. Uh, when did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? When did we see you sick and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. So you see how Paul's applying Christ's teaching of the kingdom of God and saying how it's, it's not about what we eat and drink. It's about who we are together as the people of Christ. And how we need to recognize who we are if we're going to be on God's mission to the world, even around the local corner. But the real sting in the tale is that the word for sick that Jesus uses in the sheep and the goats is the same word for weak here in Romans 14. So it's when did we see you sick, Jesus? When did we see you weak, Jesus? Oh, don't you realize what you did for the least of these, my brothers, you did it for me. Well, then, what does this mean for us once we recognize who we are as the local church? See, if the biggest challenge facing us as the church in Australia and the church in Africa is how to disciple the next generation of believers in the midst of a hostile world, then I suspect that the greatest need for the church in Africa and Australia is to recover the core message of who we are as the church and to live that out. God has brought us into his community in order to reveal his grace, his mercy, his righteousness in a world that is blind in their sin. So what might this look like here in Victor? Now, I'm looking around, I'm guessing a lot of you have been around churches for a fair while, yes? And I'm guessing we could all share stories about what goes wrong when churches forget who they are and start treating one another like they're not Christ, yeah? I could tell a story of a church, a pastor, the elders... And a confession from the pastor that involved a pair of delicately placed pliers. <laughs> it's funny until you realise what the church is. That is going to be one awkward conversation when Jesus returns. Oh, didn't you know? The king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of these, the least of my brothers, you did it to me. See, we don't really know how to do church until we are convinced of who we are as church. But then actually it becomes fairly straightforward, doesn't it? Once we recognise who we are. Now, you might not think that you're part of the youth ministry or the young people's ministry or whatever else you're doing here. But can I say, please don't underestimate how observant young people are. Please don't underestimate how observant the people around you in the community are. And please don't underestimate how crucial that is 
for discipling the next generation as the church. See, people are not discipled by the church leaders, but by us being the church with our church leaders. See, I came to faith many years ago after I just spent two weeks in the Royal Adelaide Hospital after an engineering pub crawl went horribly wrong. I was not the most obvious candidate for missionary service back then. I was embarrassed, I was ashamed, I'd been hanging out church for a couple of years trying to be good and nice and get myself into heaven and I couldn't do it and it was hard and I stuffed up and I resolved that I was never going to go back to church again. But then an old lady from the church who I did not even know but who heard what had happened, she wrote me a letter telling me that I can be saved because of what God has done for me in Christ, not because of what I do for him. And it made sense, not just because she told me the factually correct information about the gospel, but because she actually lived it out towards me. I was a mess. But Faith Kramer continually showed me the grace of God that she kept talking to me about. And God used his church in my life to bring me to him. Faith Kramer, she was an old lady, she wasn't even on the university ministry team. But fancy that, God used his church. We take our son Mitchell to a youth group every few Friday nights and I love seeing it because it's a whole bunch of different people in, from the church, all ages, serving it. I love it because it's not just another gospel activity for my son to go to, but it's a gospel community for him to be reminded of the gospel as part of. It's like, I see you've got a church picnic coming up soon. I love, the only thing better than a church picnic is a church camp. Now, you might not like them, but I love the time we spend together as the church because actually as we live out the reality of who we are in Christ, we experience the truth of the gospel and we make it known to others. So these things shouldn't be a burden, they should be a chance to carry each other's burdens. Friends, forget about what you eat and what you can't eat. The eating and the drinking and what we wear is not the thing. The thing is recognising who we are as Christ's people and how we are at the heart of his mission to the lost. So therefore, just work out how you can live that out together so that the next generations might be truly discipled by his church. Friends, don't mistake gospel activity for gospel community because they go together. And don't mistake church attendance for church community because, again, they really need to go together. But can I say, sometimes, just sometimes, it might be a really good thing for you to mistook someone here at church for the Lord Jesus himself. Because they really, really go together.
So brothers and sisters, as you take up your part moving forward as God's people, as part of his mission strategy to the nations, both here and far, accept one another, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God from among the nations for all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you don't outsource mission either to your church or to some people that travel further than others, but you draw us together into your mission as your people and you call us to live out your words in love, grace, truth and righteousness. We're not saved because we're good. We're saved because you are and you call us to be a community of grace that makes your gospel known to the generations that are looking on. So please help us confidently be your people on your mission in this your place. Amen.